Blog Talk Radio. Now let's join Holly Steffi and Red Velvet Media as we explore the inspirational worlds of music, media, and more.
great song. I love that song. Welcome to um, Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio, and today I have a really special guest. Um, I have Karen Haynes with me about her, and she's going to be talking about her new book, Silently Seizing. And this I did not know until I was made aware just a while ago that this is Seizure Awareness Month. So there's a lot of things that go along with common, unrecognized, and frequently missed um, seizures and their potentially damaging impact on people. Um, And so Karen has written a book on her own, um, I guess, personal experiences from what I've read in this amazing book. And um, she is also an RN. So let me bring her into the studio, and we're going to talk a little bit more about her book and what um, brought her to prepare this book. I also wanted to let everyone know the chat room is open. If you'd like to go into the chat room, and also if you'd like to call in, the number is 347-677-1036. I hope everyone's having a wonderful Wednesday. And, um, yeah, wonderful Wednesday. That's a good name, huh, Karen? I know you're there. Mm-hmm. Welcome, to the, I'm <laughs> welcome there. to the show. Yeah, let's talk about this uh amazing book that you wrote um and i know that it was based on a lot of your own personal experiences and stuff and you've shared that with a lot of people to help them i guess become more aware of what things that are commonly happen that we miss and helping to diagnose people that have seizures or um you know misdiagnose things and stuff like that so Welcome to the show, and um, why don't you let everyone know a little bit about what Silently Seizing is about. Okay. Well, thank you for the welcome, and I'm happy to be so here. So welcome. Um, this, the book is really essentially about how often children with autism um, have an underlying seizure disorder that accounts for a variety of the behaviors that they exhibit that actually lead to the diagnosis. And mm-hmm. in 50% of cases, according to Dr. Fernando Miranda, who's a neurologist, um, and he works with this population, he says that 50% of the time these children are just seizing and they are being misdiagnosed with autism when it's actually a treatable seizure disorder, you know, leading the, the clinician to diagnose autism. So there are so many problems with the way autism is diagnosed in this country. Uh, Typically, it is diagnosed just by having someone watch a child play with toys in a room. And based upon that assessment uh, and and watching the the delay uh, in development, often just that leads to the diagnosis of autism and then some peculiar behaviors occasionally accompany that early diagnosis. Um, When actually this is a brain disorder, language originates in the brain, and yet we do not take a look at the brain often in these cases, which is unbelievable. So um, I'm trying to alert parents that when their child is diagnosed with autism, it should be the beginning of the quest for answers and not the end of the quest, which is how Mm -hmm. it was 26 years ago when my son was diagnosed. You were told autism, there's ABA therapy, goodbye and good luck. And now I'm trying to tell parents there are so many things underlying this diagnosis 
the least of which is uh, uh, seizures, and also many genetic disorders, this uh, diagnosis, that have many treatable components, such as celiac disease, for example. When uh, a person has a, an intolerance to wheat, and they can have seizures along with that, and they also have a severe um, problem with wheat where the byproducts are actually causing the developmental delay. And the body, the, the stomach can't absorb uh, nutrients uh, when gluten is present. And it's a simple fix by uh, avoiding that particular you know, food substance, which can be very toxic to children who have mm-hmm. disorder. And then there are other, many other disorders, Ray syndrome, uh, Landau-Kleffner syndrome, that all huddle under the same umbrella of autism. And they really are uh, very, you know, similar but very different, and they need to be diagnosed, you know, for what they are. And children need to go to, you know, the right uh, place to get a full and comprehensive workup, which, you know, when my son was small, this wasn't happening. Um, It's happening a little bit more, but I think that many people who don't have a medical background just trust what they're told. And that's having tragic consequences. So I felt compelled yeah. to share what I've learned on my journey. No, and you are a registered RN too. So how um, how how has that helped you in helping other people? Because I know this book is really great. You know, that's a great question, and it has helped me in so many ways. Because as part of my training, I was taught how to observe and how essential it is to observe, um, you know, behavior and, and, and illness. And so when my son would have a seizure and he would tear apart the house and become rage-filled, and then afterwards he'd look around and say, what happened? He had no recollection of it and no comprehension of it and no interest in doing the behavior so what does that tell you? That it's something out of his control that causes temporary amnesia. And there are really very few things that do that. But seizures are one of them, complex partial seizures. For, for mm-hmm. our purposes today, we're going to be talking about the, the complex partial seizures that are very um, difficult to, to diagnose because the behavior initially is very subtle. It could just start out being a stare into space for five seconds, you know, multiple times throughout the day. Um, And a lot of clinicians who work with people with autism are taught that this behavior somehow is purposeful and they give it euphemisms and they call it light gazing and all kinds of other bizarre, um, you know, characterizations when it's actually a seizure. But because a lot of people are taught that this is part of, autism, they come to believe it. You know, we believe a lot of what we're, we're, we're told by the media, by our professors, and we're not really taught to question. And I was taught to question and always seek, you know, the truth. And so for me, it, it was very easy to actually understand it over time as I watched it unfold. But even as a, as a medical professional, initially, I couldn't see it. It, it was only in hindsight you know, when, when they became more pronounced. And um, and actually, initially, 
when he was little, I did think he was having seizures because he had so many staring spells, and I knew that that was a characteristic of partial epilepsy. But the biggest problem in this whole situation is that the EEG, the test that we use to um, diagnose seizures, often fails to pick up these deep electrical impulses mm-hmm. and is read as normal. So even when you're lucky enough to get to the right doctor and get to the right test, the test often fails and leads the doctors and the, and the families in the wrong direction. And it's tragic because, you know, Dr. Miranda is treating these children um, and they are making astounding gains in language. In fact, um, I would like to direct your listeners to his website. Sure. Yeah, please, this please is, do. Um, Give all that information out because being that it's Seizure Awareness Month, I think it's really important that people do have the correct information and the right places to go for for resources for parents out there that are wondering what their kids might be doing. And you hit it right on the nose, you know, nose there. You people, the kids staring off and just spacing out. That's what that's what I've seen as far as seizures with some people that I know that say, oh, no, I didn't have a seizure. I just spaced out. No, no, no. I knew. Right. Yeah. You know, and, so, yeah, we yeah. were often just, you know, sold a bill of goods, unfortunately. Um, so his information, he runs what's called the, the Bright Minds Institute. And so the website is the Bright Minds Institute. Actually, no, the, it's just brightmindsinstitute.com. And on, and his name is Fernando Miranda, and he's a, a well-respected neurologist who contributed to my book, and was very helpful in my in helping me understand a lot of what's going on. And on his website, um, there is an ABC News clip on the on the homepage where ABC did a story, Claire Shipman, on this very issue with him, and they chronicled two families whose children were diagnosed with autism. And then subsequently got to Dr. Miranda, and and he told them after the testing that, and he has very good extensive testing, that it was seizures, not autism. And both of these children made remarkable, astounding reversals. So it's very important for people to see that because it's a it's a visual that you can't ignore. Um, and the families talk about how their children were diagnosed um, and and told that they had, there was no hope when in actuality one child went from, in a period of two months, went from, you know, three words to 300 words. It was just incredible. And another, the other child who's chronicled is indistinguishable from his peers now and totally mainstreamed and fine because his seizures are being treated. And another problem that goes on with this population, even when they get to the right doctor and they get, you know, the spikes are seen on the EEG because it's, uh, sometimes they are seen. It depends on where they're originating from. If they're higher up in the brain, they might find their way to the EEG. A lot of doctors are reluctant to treat anyway. Uh, and I, I just find that appalling. You know, I've, been, I've met so many people along this journey who have told me that their doctors don't want to treat even though they're having spikes. You know, to me, every time you have a seizure, in my in my research, it's, it's causing damage to the brain. You know, it's, it's eroding brain cells. And so um, I think, you know, doctors need to really look at this issue uh, very, very closely um, and examine it, you know, in, in more depth. 
um, there's a wonderful doctor, Warren Davinsky, at the NYU Medical Center in New York, and he's an epileptologist, and he's read my book, and we keep in close contact. And I told him yesterday how a mother wrote to me a beautiful letter, how, um, you know, she found my book somehow, and her son was diagnosed with Tourette's, but she knew that didn't seem right, and she read my book, and all of the accounting that I gave, she experienced similarly in her own life and asked her doctor to please give her son an anticonvulsant and he has completely turned around. So I wrote to Dr. Davinsky and said, you know, can we work on this where, where you can enlighten your colleagues um, and, and, and make them aware of the conundrum that these, you know, pets aren't picking them up. And he agreed wholeheartedly that this needs to happen and he says the science hasn't caught up yet. So, I've got to scream this on the rooftops. Really, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, you know, um, I think that's really important because we as parents and me as a parent also, I would be really, I know that when things happen with children and with our loved ones, we become really concerned. And I know that there have been moments in my life personally that, you know, where my child has actually experienced things that are medically um, out of my hands that I want to go and, and 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 do something about. You know, it's really it's really hard. You know, when you're sitting there and you're just watching something happen to somebody, you become very upset. So okay. I think you taking the the um, you know being being so brave to write this book is so important. And that is the beginning, I think, of getting the word out there. Now, are there support groups available for people to um, uh, get involved in, and and where would they find those? Well, I'm sure there are. I, uh, you know, I would uh, contact my local ones that are legit. Let me say that legitimate ones that are good. You know, that you think are good. You know, it's just well, it's data. very hard. It's very hard to know. I don't know where all of them are. You know, I'm in New York, and um, you know, I find that a lot of people are very skeptical about seizures because there's a stigma attached to them. Mm-hmm. You know, many years ago, it, we felt that uh, there were demons in the person's brain, and it's a very odd stigma that does seem to. Uh, I had never heard that. The, oh yeah, they used to drill really? actually drill holes into the skulls of, of people to try to let the demons out. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Wow. In fact, even today, you know, you know, in certain parts of the world, um, people who are you know, rage-filled that comes from a seizure often um, are thought to, you know, be demonic and, and, and need exorcisms and whatnot. It's, it's, it's so sad. So we're fortunate that, you know, it's, the information is coming to light now, but... Um, it's important to find a doctor that understands it, more importantly than even a support group. But support groups are very helpful in um, allowing a person to just express how sad they feel about what's going on in their lives. So I would, I would recommend calling a local um, group, a local epilepsy foundation or autism society, and ask you know, where the support groups are and when they meet. Wow. Um, what are some of the signs that you think um, is a concerned parent, as a parent that's spending time with a child or even an adult, um, that we should look for? 
because I know okay. that I personally, I personally have experienced this. Not me, not me personally. Like I've had um, a seizure, but I've sat and I've talked to somebody, and all of a sudden they forgot what I was saying. Um, they kind of said, "Oh, I spaced out. I went off somewhere for a moment." And I really felt like there was something really wrong. And um, they didn't seem, they seemed really tired afterwards. And after reading your book and and listening to some of the things that you have been talking about, I really feel that possibly they could have had a silent seizure. Um, and absolutely. I was concerned. Yeah, absolutely, positively, I think that there are a lot of people that are having silent seizures as you are talking about in this book that that um we don't understand we only think that the person is maybe um preoccupied with their with their um thoughts um maybe um they're too upset to focus um because i found that focusing is a big issue for um a couple people that i feel that this is happening to they can't focus yeah. on something. They can't hold on to that one conversation for long enough to really make it make sense out of it. So that's what really concerns me. Um, what are the things that we need to be looking for? Okay. Well, often, you know, there are two different types of seizures. There's a simple partial where um, awareness is intact. So they mm-hmm. might drift off, but they're aware of their surroundings and what's going on around them. And then there's a the complex partial where they're not. It's almost like a seizure, it's almost like a tonic-clonic seizure standing up. They're uh, mm-hmm. in another way, you know, they're just not, uh, you know, with it. They're, they're unconscious, actually, but they're standing up and they're talking, but they're not making any sense. So it really depends on which kind of seizure the person's having. And the simple partial are more like the absent seizure with the staring and some facial grimacing and some odd mouth movements, kinds of, you know, more uh, some anxiety. Um, And with the complex partial, it gets much more involved where there's a sudden change in in the behavior and a complete cessation of the activity that was, you know, happening. So it just stops. Whatever they were doing, they just stop. And a lot of times their pupils will enlarge. They will begin to stare. Some people make funny noises with their tongues, like clicking sounds. They may fumble yeah. with their clothing. They may uh-huh. say incoherent things that make no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for many people on the spectrum, they will become self-injurious, as my son did and as many other children that I know who experience this do, where they actually bite down. Um, very, very hard on their own skin. Um, and if you think about a tonic-clonic seizure, you know, they do have that same clenching of the jaw, but it happens when they fall. And um, that's why they put the tongue depressor in there uh, to keep a person from swallowing their tongue because they, it's, 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 it's because it, the movements become so rigid and it happens, you know, the clenching happens. Um, so that's a very big problem with people on the spectrum. And it's very misunderstood because uh, m- most of the time it's seizure-related. And um, eye blinking is another big one. You know, sometimes it's, it's rapid blink. Sometimes it's eye fluttering. Sometimes it's actually the eyes rolling back into the head. And then there are hallucinations that occur with complex partial where you hear mm-hmm. voices, 
these things. Oh, it can yeah. Be visual and auditory. Yep. Yeah, my son used to complain of a burning smell. The burning smell is something I've heard about. And yeah, that's temporal, temporal lobe. And now, now, does that... Being that you're an RN, you see quite a lot, I'm I'm sure. And I've done, I've actually done, believe it or not, I have done perceptorships in emergency rooms um, because I had worked, I got my degree in pharmacology, cosmetic and for cosmetic purposes. And I did some, I did a, you know, a little short perceptorship with a couple of different doctors and I had got to see different things. But I can imagine you, now do you, what, where do you work? Do you work as an RN in an emergency room, or, or do you work as an RN for a doctor? No. In fact, I haven't worked as an RN in mm-hmm. about 15 years because I have been researching for 10 wow. years. And then That's it took fantastic. me quite a while to write the book. Yeah, because I had children and I you know, I was you know, caring for them. So I wrote the book part-time. It wasn't like I could devote full-time to it. And I mm-hmm. did the research over a long period of time because it was evolving and when I felt I had enough information that made the the book a really valuable instrument is when I finally finished it and got it published. So wow. um, right now I'm actually doing life coaching and counseling um, because I've, I'm told I'm pretty good at it. And when I'm not doing that, I'm running around talking about epilepsy and seizures and autism. So and I'm wow. a grandmother now. You're so a busy woman. A lot going on. Yeah, I've been an RN for a very long time, but in the research end mainly. And I do spend mm-hmm. a lot of time counseling people. They come to me. I offer consults one-to-one if anybody needs to talk about their child. And I will, you know, review all their information and make recommendations. Um, so, you know, I keep busy that way. Um, and I, I find that this is so misunderstood that I do have a lot of interest. And so that keeps me busy. And oh, wow. I want to mention that my, my yeah. I, I work with a woman now. Her name is Trish Polchowski, a wonderful mother, and she's also um, a consummate professional. She's got a master's degree in behavior. And so she's a behavioral analyst and a behavioral consultant. And she came to me with her son's problem. And I helped her so much understand the underlying origin that she now works with me because what she brings to the table which is so essential is the data collection piece holly which Mm -hmm. parents need to understand that once they suspect seizures they can start to collect data on their child and we have it on our website where they can actually print off the you know the abcs of how to collect the data and keep it in a scatter plot and bring it to the doctor because there's nothing better than concrete proof that, you know, that these are episodic, out-of-the-blue, you know, problems that um, are seizure. Because, you know, sometimes there are behavioral issues in, 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 with any child, whether it be with an autistic child or a typical child, where they misbehave because they're hungry or they're tired um, or they want something. So this kind of behavioral data collection will help you parse out what is episodic, totally out of control and out of the blue, and what might be, uh, you know, what else might be causing the behavior. Because a lot of times we we, Mm -hmm. we just, you know, we surmise that somebody's misbehaving because they want something when in actuality they're seizing. And it's terrible to admonish someone or have expectations of someone uh, when they can't control what's happening. 
Yeah, you know, that's the thing. That's the thing. When you feel like you're out of control, when you personally don't have control over something, it's really, it's something that really, I think, starts to affect people and they get even more stressed out about it. Yes, and you know what? A very bright doctor once told me that the anxiety that seizures create cause other problems like anxiety, like um, depression. So mm-hmm. it becomes these comorbid conditions that you, you know, it becomes like layers of an onion. And, and, and a lot of them have to be treated. And another thing that's very misunderstood is when seizures begin to come under control with medication, a psychosis can take hold, which needs to be treated. So, for instance, in my son's case, when the seizures were being treated, he became psychotic at times, out of control, crazy, mm-hmm. where he was trying to flip, you know, throw himself outside of windows and things. And what I recognized through my research is that it's something called forced normalization. And this brilliant doctor, Restack, uh, Richard Restack, he's a, he's a brain doctor, a neurologist also, he writes about this. And um, he wrote a paper, Complex Partial Seizures Present a Diagnostic Challenge. Because when you're treating the seizures, this forced normalization can occur. It doesn't always, but it does sometimes. And that can lead a person to believe that, oh, my gosh, look, my son's getting worse. He's being treated for seizures. Oh, my gosh. When in actuality, this is a normal um, situation for some people. And those people need an additional medication of an antipsychotic. And mm-hmm. once the two are used together, it ameliorates the behavior. But that's so important to understand because if you don't, that could lead you to withdraw the anticonvulsant and the person never gets the benefit of getting well. Wow. I mean, what is yeah. that like for you as a parent, seeing your kids trying to hurt themselves? That's, that's so, it, it just tears at your heart. I mean, um, there are no words. I mean, it is just no. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I've been there. I totally get that. Yeah, it's. I mean, I haven't been there to the extent of probably some of the things that you have experienced, but I have been there where I've had um, my daughter um, had tried to hurt herself one time, and I couldn't understand. And then you blame yourself for it. You know, and um, uh, it's kind of hard to understand that. And then you then you realize it's something they're going through or maybe it's something that they really need some counseling with. Do you believe in counseling for any of this at all? Um, have you um, gotten into any, besides group the group thing that you're doing and different groups that you could recommend for people, is counseling good as well? Well, I think counseling can help um, a parent, you know, who's dealing with these very intense issues. Um, And it could possibly help the patient who's experiencing them once they're on the right medications to talk about, you know, what it was like if they're very high-functioning. You know, they Mm -hmm. can certainly benefit from it. It really depends on the, the intellectual functioning of the person, I would think. Um, but it's certainly not going to do anything to help the seizure problem um, itself or the psychosis that may or may not take take hold. But I think when you have a chronic disorder of any kind, 
mm-hmm. and it's it's troubling to you, you know, seeking out help uh, of that kind would be very beneficial if you if you know if you're high functioning enough. So, do you think yeah. diet has anything to do with it as well? Well, in my book, I talk about many of the illnesses, uh, the genetic type of of illnesses that fall under this umbrella. And some of them are mitochondrial, and some of them are, um, like the one I mentioned earlier, celiac, uh, where the certain substances are actually toxic and cause brain problems. So, you know, that's why it's so important to find out what's causing the, the problem in an individual. You just can't say autism anymore. That's like such a huge blanket over 20 or 30 disorders. You've got to find out what the disorder is. And in gluten intolerance, you know, there is a blood test that they do, but it's not always 100% accurate. And again, you can go down the right the path, get close to the answer, and then when you're told the blood test is normal, you go on your merry way. And we're finding that in celiac, you have to have a biopsy of the intestines, lining of the intestines to accurately diagnose it. Blood tests don't always show it. So I think because we have tests that are inferior, you know, in many ways, I mean, look, mammograms, they're 60% of, them, of, of cancer. You know, a lot of them are found by, by women, you know, doing mm-hmm. self-exam. We have to take into our own hands the care of our bodies and our children and do the research and get, you know, second and third opinions and understand what gluten sensitivity looks like you know, a lot of times the kids get eczema. Well, that's oh, not yeah, normal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. That's a major, so the minute you major see that thing. in yep. a young child, that, that's mm-hmm. like a red flag for gluten yep. and cases. Totally, totally. I want to say real quick again, this is uh, Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio, and today um, we are talking about an amazing book called Silently Seizing. I have Karen, Hain- Karen Haynes with me. And uh, um, do you mind if we take a really quick break here um, for one second and come back in one moment, Karen? Okay, hold on one second here. Here we go. Sunday, her candid relationship call-out sent shockwaves across social media. What I didn't know until I read that article. Author of Why You're Not Married Yet, Tracy McMillan. You say love is always spiritual. Whether you're looking for true love or a more meaningful relationship, what is the question we should be asking? The question I ask myself is... The spiritual straight talk you need to hear on the next Super Soul Sunday. All new Sunday, 11 a.m., 10 central, only here. Prayer is a big part of my spiritual practice, and my prayers are very simple. It'll be a prayer like this. Show me. Show me what you want me to do. Mm -hmm. Use me. Mine is use me, yeah. Use me. And I think sometimes when I have a situation, whenever I'm at a decision point in my life, it'll be like, I'm just going to open my hand, and if it's supposed to go away, or if the wind is supposed to come along and blow whatever it is off my hand, let it go. Let it go. It's not for me. And that's the thing. Like, when you tell the truth to a partner, this is what I'm looking for, and they go away, it's because they're not for you. You want them to go away sooner rather than later. Absolutely. But I think what, you, what we've said and you've expressed so beautifully is that 
so many people are afraid that if I actually just tell the truth, yeah, then I'll be alone and I won't find anybody else. Yes. And this was my one chance. And, yes. And yeah. in fact, unless you tell the truth, you won't find that spiritual partnership because the spiritual partnership is based on the truth. Oh, there we are. Okay, sorry about that. Um, Karen, that was from the um, Super Soul Sundays. Yeah, and you know what? I really felt like that was really, really kind of cool because there's some things going on in our world today where I think people do need to learn how to tell the truth. Um, And that is from uh, Super Soul Sunday with Oprah Winfrey, and um, we're happy to be part of that in helping to promote um, Super Soul Sunday and um, she'll be continuing that this Sunday as long as well as with Eckhart Tolle. So um, I'm really oh, happy to be able to promote that. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think that, I think getting back to your book, when when we as parents feel hopeless, I think that's the most, most I think that's the thing that comes first. We feel hopeless and we don't know what to do, and we, we kind of freak out in the beginning, and then, we um, try really hard to find answers. And I know a lot of times people go to the net and whatever, but you're really brave about writing this book. This is such a great book. Um, it says, it says okay. it's an essential guide for parents and professionals. That's great, Carol. I mean, Karen, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Okay. I'm going backwards here. Um, um, yeah, I think it's just going to help parents, you know, to navigate this scary mm-hmm. diagnosis, uh, yeah, because really it is, and it's very the assessment is so minimal, and that has to change. I mean, it's a brain mm-hmm. disorder. Who would try? I mean, if we went to a doctor, you know, uh, with with blurry vision, and he just handed us a pair of glasses, that wouldn't be that would we wouldn't accept that uh, without any kind of uh, in depth evaluation. But yet, with our children, you know, we do. And uh, because we we're, we're conditioned that way, you know, to to believe what we're told and, and not question it, and I think that's an important thing to remember: always question and and do the research yourself as much as possible, and then get more opinions too. Yeah, no, and I think that um, when I I was reading, there was something in in the book. Let me, I'm trying to find the part that I really felt that was really really intriguing to me was. On page 72, where you talk about the medical test to identify underlying causes of autism that may influence the ultimate prognosis, that was really that was really interesting to me, um, because there you were saying here that the above tests are not ordered routinely by physicians. Therefore, it is incumbent upon the family to request it. If encountering resistance, don't take no for an answer. It's too important. The cost may be covered by insurance or the Medicaid waiver when when appropriated. Okay, so this is the deal. I'm running into this now. I'm I've I've seen this happening, me, not me personally, but I've seen it happening personally to other people that are really not well. And there are tests out there for certain situations that maybe they're experiencing that they're not offering. So unless we educate ourselves properly by reading books, like your great book that you've written, and and, 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 and I mean, I got so much information out of this, it like really made me think, wow, there have been some people in my life that I've talked to, now I understand why um, 
certain things have happened and why the you know it's the behavior has been the way it has um this was like an aha moment for me um oh that's good that's good yeah and thank goodness for you for people like you that are brave enough to come forward and write a book and and also are not afraid of talking about your own personal experiences and then giving people ideas of what to do. Um, I want to ask you, when you were writing this book, and what's really cool also is the book diary in here. I love the book diary that you've put in here and all the little places that people can put things um, and questions to ask. When you were writing this book, um, what was one of the, or do you have any moments when you were writing it where you really felt like there were some memories or or some things or something that happened during that time you were writing it or a subject or whatever that was like a moment that you want to share with our listeners? Um, well, I'm not not sure what you mean. I'm sorry. I'm not sure I'm what you. I'm sorry. I know it's okay. What I mean is when you were writing this book. Were there any was there any time in particular that you were writing about a certain subject or a certain chapter or something in this book that really affected you and made you really stop and really take a look at something and that and, and it really made you think and that you want to share with our listeners how it affected you what was it um, okay. when you were writing okay. this that's, book Yeah, I, that helps to clarify. I'm sorry. I know well, I get I get I... too intense at times. <laughs> but that's okay. But uh, no, you're wonderful. Um, when I was researching for the book, I came across a uh-huh. woman who talked about um, in a blog about having to put her son in a facility because he was battering her constantly with these oh, unprovoked wow. terror, yeah, terror attacks. And then I came across a woman who was killed by her son. Um, who had autism, and she wrote about how he would, and told people how he would fly into these blinding rages for no reason, and she'd lock herself in the closet. Um, she was a professor at Kent State, and unfortunately, he got to her and killed her. And he was um, he was being you know held on the death row. And I tried to get through to his attorneys to tell them what I thought was happening, which is that he couldn't control this behavior. They, it was seizure-related. And I, unfortunately, mm-hmm. they, didn't, they didn't call me back. Um, and, and this poor young man is at, at, the, at the mercy of the courts who don't understand uh, how epilepsy can cause a rage-aggressive attacks. That, mm-hmm. that that it cannot be um, controlled unless a person's on medication, and if they are, they're not going to do it. And it's so searing to me that these poor people are being incarcerated and sometimes, uh, you know, um, electric shock therapy is given to them, all kinds of horrible things to try to modify behavior that they can't control at all. To me, that is so horrific and horrendous that mm-hmm. I, I, I felt compelled to put my life savings into doing this and my life on hold to, to change something that's, that must be changed. Yeah, you know, we're not the voice. Yeah. yeah. If we're not the voice for a lot of the people um, that are unfortunately in the system, and you know that once you get in the system, as you were explaining about this poor man that's just at the mercy of of the courts and the system, that once you are in the system, it's very hard to get out. 
And um, unless you have great counseling or somebody that's going to help you, um, you know, talk about whatever it is that you're going through with anything legally or anything you may have been implicated in, um, I, I think that's really, that's so sad. That's so sad. Oh I mean, that must have been so painful for you to write about something like that. Um, yeah, because uh, yeah, that, uh, you know, has to be, I think, um, illuminated so that people can, who are reading the book really understand the gravity of the mm-hmm. situation and how aggression is so part of epilepsy and is so poorly tolerated by our society. Of course. Of course it is, and it should be. But it has to be understood that it's oftentimes related to a seizure, and, and that's completely out of the person's control. Um, mm-hmm. and, and if the person has never been diagnosed with epilepsy, which, you know, a lot of these kids are not getting diagnosed, they become psychotic later in life because uncontrolled, untreated epilepsy can predispose to a psychosis later on, like after 10 years of, of having it and not and having it not be treated. That's why it's so important for parents of three-year-olds and four-year-olds to read my book uh, with autism. Oh, yeah. To read my book I mean, so I can, they I don't can, go down this path. I can understand that. Now, is there anything that we can do to um, – I, I know that it's a really hard thing to reverse anything like this. Um, is there anything that we can do to – I know in your book you're talking about preventative measures and things that we can do. Um, what are the most important things that you feel that we need to get to people out there? Again, um, also, if anyone wants to reach you, can they reach you? Um, or do you? Absolutely. They okay. And how will they website. do that? Okay. SilentlySeizing.com. Okay. And um, you know we have an email, Trish and I mm-hmm. both, uh, so you can contact us through the website, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm very accessible that way. So That's I, you know, I'll, Yeah, I'll answer as many questions as I can and phone calls. You know, I do consulting, and I also, you know, mm-hmm. just for questions, I don't charge, but, of course, if I'm going to evaluate your child, yes, I would have to for my mm-hmm. time. Um, but it's very reasonable. Sure. So, yeah, they can contact me, and the most important thing is not to ignore uh, – you know, a, a, a full, extensive evaluation, including an MRI and a Densaray EEG, the kind that Dr. Miranda does, because he does one that's very, very um, in-depth, and mm-hmm. it does show up on his. But these kinds of machines are not widely disseminated. So if you don't go to someone like him and you just go to a hospital, you're not going to get the benefit of the more uh, advanced technology that's out there. Mm-hmm. And we have to demand more of our doctors. Um, one of the moms who wrote on Amazon, she wrote a review of my book, she said that, you know, the general uh, lack of awareness is appalling, and that's exactly what it is, of, how, of what contributes to the diagnosis of autism. And often it's a treatable component, treatable, mm-hmm. and can reverse the shift in, in many, many cases or make it a whole lot better. So I'm here with very good news. Yeah, I I agree with you on that one, and I understand that. I think that I think that there are people that are hopeless, and they feel like they don't have any hope, and that they need they need somewhere to go to be able to talk. 
and that's why the support groups are really good. And you have to make sure that it's a credible support group too because you want to get the right information. Um, and being that this is Seizure Awareness Month, can you tell us what is going on nationally or globally to help people become more aware of um, seizures and how to deal with them and how to recognize them? You know, on my website, I give a very in-depth um, overview of how to recognize them and also in my book, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just the best way. Look up the signs and symptoms. You know, if you Google signs and symptoms of partial epilepsy, you will get, um, you know, the Epilepsy Foundation website and um, a very clear description of what they are. And I think it's very important to have, you know, to read and reread and then you know, see if you can recognize it in, in a loved one that you're suspicious might have these problems. And anyone, mm-hmm. certainly that gets a diagnosis of autism, uh, any parent or professional should be looking for those signs and symptoms in these children and in their, um, you know, students. So um, they can, you know, get the help they need because seizures can be treated effectively. It's that simple. And there are natural ways to treat it, too, as you were pointing out in your book. Well, there's a ketogenic diet. Yes. Yeah. There's a diet that's very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are seizure medications that have a very low side effect profile. You know, it's not like the old days where it was phenobarb and and dilantin only. There's lots of different medications now that that you don't need monitoring and you don't need, um, you know, don't have big side effects. So I wouldn't, I'd be more afraid of not treating than treating, because the first line mm-hmm. of defense for seizures is, is medication. Yeah, um, I intractable think. epilepsy. I think that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's certain things that just need it, and 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 once these kids get treated, this mom who wrote to me just yesterday said, "Now my son, he, he's you know excelling in in science and he's winning awards." And I mean, this was a kid that you know just wasn't functioning. So it's astonishing the change that can occur when seizures are treated. Because we're talking about the brain, and we're talking about electrical interruption of the brain, which is what seizures are. So if you fix that, much better. I think think also, now, um, you were talking about specialists and different people in your book. Um, What is is the common doctor that you would go to for seizures? A neurologist? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. And... Um, what would you tell a parent if they were going to seek out a doctor and what should they look for as far as their credentials and um, what they think that they could do for them? Well, I typically um, advise a a major medical center like, you know, NYU, for example, in New York, Mm -hmm. where, you know, there's a team of people involved. So, um, you know, like you would see a neurologist and then they might recommend a geneticist as well, um, you know, within the hospital confines. And, and because a lot of these disorders are genetic and they can be identified with a blood test. And that's very important. Not only mm-hmm. to identify what genetic disorder there is, but what are the chances that you might have another child like this? Um, you know, you need to understand those things as a parent. So a major medical center with an epileptologist who is also a neurologist, is, is, is paramount of uh, importance in my mind. And then 
I would ask them if they have an open mind about treating subclinical seizures, meaning a seizure that may not be identified in a clinical setting. So, you know, it could be identified by symptoms, which, which, which makes it subclinical, because a lot of the things in, in science cannot be proven. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean it doesn't exist. And so for a lot of doctors, it doesn't exist unless it can be proven, and those are the doctors to avoid. Yeah, and because I, if I it really walks love... like a duck, walks yep. like a duck, it might yep. be a duck. And, you know, you've got to keep an open mind, and there are doctors who do and there are doctors who don't. So that's important, not to take no for an answer if you really feel your child fits this profile. Yeah, and the thing is, when you are so bound to your own child and you're so involved in their in their life emotionally and you love them so much there's nothing that we wouldn't do for our own child i mean the bond between a mother and a a child is endless and um I, i i like in your book at the beginning where you talk about josh's story where you talk about questioning authority um, I think that's really important because we don't. There are a lot of people that um, are very non-confrontational, and they don't want they don't want to be asked questions. They feel that we already know the answers, and they assume that we already know the answers. And that's part of, I think, the miscommunication. I think I think also a lot of communication gets broken down when. We're just emailing somebody or texting somebody or talking to them like that. I think that you have to really sit down and really talk to somebody and really make your point really clear to someone in order to be able to get the perfect professional treatment that you really want. Um, yes. I like I like your questioning authority. Um, I think that's really important. And, you know, how do you explain to your child when they have those moments of realism that there's something wrong and that they need they know they need help and they're asking like you said please fix my brain mom i mean how how do you deal with that i mean i mean what are the what are the coping skills that you would like to give to people to be able to deal with that when they have a child that may have those moments of clarity where they know there's something really wrong and they're coming to you and they're saying mom can you help me and yeah, I would say that, that you've got to help them. And the only thing you can say that would be meaningful is that I love you and I'm going to do everything I can to help you and I'm not going mm-hmm. to stop until I do. I mean, that's the only thing that would make me feel better if I were seizing and going to my mother and asking for help. So you just have to get them to help. And, um, you know, it took yeah. me a very long time to get somebody to believe that this is happening. Now it's much more accepted. Uh, Is that weird? That's so weird. I think there's a stigma. Yeah, there is. It's stigma. And there are people, there are doctors who are tethered to old science. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I know that there are doctors um, I personally have gone to for certain things in my life, and they're old school. And what I mean, and you know what I mean by old school. And it's like things change and happen all day. Um, medicine changes, science changes, um, you know, and we're constantly, you as an RN and myself as a, um, you know, having a degree in pharmacology are always learning and updating our information because things change every moment of the day. 
so right. we're learning new things all the time, and it's it's a matter of somebody being open and willing to do it. Um, what would what would you um, what are some of the positive experiences that you have brought out of writing this book and ma- making people aware? Oh well, I mean, I get so many parents that credit me for changing their lives. In fact, wow. I got a letter yesterday from a woman who said, you know, you've oh. given my family peace back. Oh. Peace. We have that has eluded Faith. us for so many years. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. And then the woman I work with gave me a beautiful bracelet one the first time we presented together at a conference mm-hmm. and she gave me the um the Pandora symbol for yeah. silver lining. And she told oh, really? me I was your silver lining. She said that to me. Oh. I was your silver lining. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know, I, I agree. I agree. You are. You're a very special person, Karen, to write this book and be able to help so many people. And isn't it great when someone can tell you that they've touched, you've touched their lives in a that's positive it. That's way? That's what I went to nursing for. That's That's really the nirvana. That you know, I um, that I want it. I mean, that's what you sign up for, you know, as a yeah. Well, then, so, so I'm going to ask you a couple things about you personally. Um, I've extended the show. Do you have a few moments extra? Sure. Okay, yeah. great. Because I I I think that we're really on some really important things here, and I think it's really important that we cover this because I I am enjoying hearing this and I'm enjoying hearing your um, honesty on this Um, what I want to ask you is you as a young adult did you know that you always wanted to get into nursing were you a caring person Um, what understanding was it that you had that made you get into nursing what what did you choose that for because I derived the the most pleasure in life from giving to other people that's how I well that's how I, mm-hmm. yeah, that's just how I'm wired. <laughs> so you loved so it. it was, yeah, I loved it. Loved it, loved it, still do. Making positive changes in someone's life is very uh, exciting to me. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of selfish, right? It makes me happy. <laughs> no, it's not. I think it's beautiful because I'm the same way. And my problem is I care so much that by the time when it comes to time for me, Holly time, I don't have anything left there to give myself. So I'm learning now how to manage that. Um, Because you know how we can get so caught up in our lives and so caught up in everything else that's going on around us that we forget about ourselves. And then when it comes time to us, for us, we don't have it. Like I ran into a situation today where, it was just total major drama, which I don't do drama, and people know that. And it's like I do real life, and um, miscommunication is like the most major thing that I think is happening. And I mean, look at our look at our world. We're miscommunicating to different people. Things are getting lost in translation, and we're causing and people are having wars and stuff like that. So. I think, you know, being there in the moment, being present, being honest and, and in touch with your own feelings and making time for yourself and being honest with that other person is really important for us to be able to function because if we can't take care of ourselves, how can we take care of someone else, right? Well, that's so true. And I do. I, You know, there are times when I can't 
fully do the things I want to do for myself. Yeah. But I don't let too much time go by because I know that I'm I'm a better giver if I get my needs met. Isn't that so true? I try to. Yeah, it's true. It is. That is so true. I see that in my own personal life. It's like you give and you give and you give and you give and you give, and you can give so much. I mean, I have I have a full heart to give to people, but then it's like then when it's time for you, it's like you're so tired and you just forget about it. Like you said, you don't waste that much. You don't wait that long. I don't either. I don't wait that long, and I realize, and that's kind of like you have that moment where you're like, okay, I have to do something for myself, even if it's like to go out for a drive or listen to something that's going to take you out of out of that one moment where you're really stressed out and really feeling it. Um, you as an RN, I mean, you were trained under, I'm sure, some very, very serious situations. You've had to probably see things that you probably never wanted to and dream of. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I you mean, know what? I think it's the best thing I ever did, Holly. Yeah. I, yeah, it made me tough. Yeah. It made me tough, and it made me, uh, you know, able to deal with a lot of the tough stuff that comes through in through life, not just with mm-hmm. my own children, with my own health. You know, you know, you get hit in life. It's not an easy deal here. <laughs> so. It's good if you could be strong and capable of handling things. And I think the nurse's training was invaluable to me for that reason. And I also believe in exercising every day because I think the stronger you are mentally and physically, Mm -hmm. um, the better able you are to cope with whatever stressors come your way. Oh, big time. I I I was looking today at enrolling myself in some classes i was actually doing some of my own stuff but looking at some things on yoga because i'm 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 noticing that i'm not concentrating on my breathing as much as i used to and because i've been so involved in working with so many great people like yourself and and with um, other great music people and and people in the entertainment industry and then my own personal life i kind of get lost along the way there a little bit and then people sort of feel like oh you're not making enough time for me and and it's not that it's it's about managing our own time and I think it's really important as a parent that when we have a child that is actually calling out to us and we feel it subconsciously and they also are acting out as you have you talked about in your book so much I think it's really important that we are able to tune into that and be, to be able to know and have that inner knowing and and, and, and instinctive um, behavior because um, there are some people that don't have that, Karen. They just oh, don't. Oh, I know that's true. I know. No, what is so, a gift? And it's, and it's something that you can cultivate, though, you know. Um, just because you don't have it doesn't mean you can't get it. So I think it's important to find the ways to be more enlightened and it's just mm-hmm. a matter of, of seeking knowledge and, um, you know, and That's finding, finding your own Learning all the time. Mm-hmm. What do you do for yourself personally on a, on a spiritual basis to um, help uh, clear your head and, and be able to um, take on the next situation? I know in nursing it must have been hard. It is. It is. And 
I think um, for me, uh, sublimating a lot of my anxiety, I live um, in a beautiful area where we have ponds and we have 50 acres and we have walking trails, and I just go in the woods, and that and, and my garden is probably the Aww. most spiritual place on earth. I grow vegetables and flowers, but particularly food. Yeah. Yeah. It's my passion. It's my passion. Isn't gardening fun? Gardening it's is wonderful. And when you Wonderful. know that you've grown I something, on an island and we didn't grow anything. We went to the you know market. Really? We never did got our hands dirty. And usually my hands are stubby, dirty hands because I get in the soil and I cultivate it and I love it. I love it. And Did you I get the kids involved in it? Um, well, they're not that interested, unfortunately. My granddaughter seems to be a little bit interested, so that's mm-hmm. nice. But. No, my daughter's busy. She's a cosmetologist. She's, you know, busy with people's hair and their beauty and their makeup. Um, and she leaves the gardening to me. But I think it's the most wonderful thing. And I came to it later in life. I didn't always enjoy it. I didn't I didn't really know until I moved to the country how fulfilling mm-hmm. it could be and how it's more therapeutic than sitting with the best psychologist in my mind. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, something about the earth and, 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 you know, having something grow from a seed into something that's so nourishing and wonderful and then sharing it with friends. I mean, it's just a whole cycle of Isn't it. Isn't that so amazing? Yeah, I totally get that. It's like when I grow heirloom tomatoes and I bring them in and then I make pasta sauce from it and then I serve it that night and I'm like, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, wow, this is great. And you've grown it. And you feel yeah. so good. It's like making your and own bread and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And you're nourishing the people you love in mm-hmm. more ways mm-hmm. than just, you know, verbally or with your heart. It's another form of nourishing. Yeah, it's another extension. I think that's that's so beautifully, um, eloquently said. I think that's important. Um, so regarding your book on silently seizing, um, how are people um, responding to the book besides, um, I know a lot of parents have been calling you and stuff. What about professionals? What have you gotten as far as people professionally talking about your book? Well, um, Dr. Joseph Servin is the mm-hmm. um, physician at the helm of the Epilepsy Foundation, and he wrote a really nice review of my book, and it's online. And he says that my book is bridging the gap um, between these two disorders, which have many intersecting areas, so he was extremely complimentary, and um, and and really helped, you know, illuminate how important this book is. And of course, I have Dr. Nancy Minshew, um, who is a fabulous neurologist and autism researcher, and she guided me on the book. Um, mm-hmm. And she's written, you know, a lot of the of the parts in the book, and I credit her, of course, with that. Um, and so I am in the professional realm now. It's not just kind of a mom writing a book. I have five doctors in the book, all who have um, renowned reputations and have weighed in, um, you know, particularly heavily on the subject. And I have a beautiful psychiatrist who wrote um, a chapter about the great pretender, temporal lobe epilepsy, and his experience as a psychiatrist because it does intersect neurology and psychiatry um, because it produces, seizures produce psychiatric symptoms. And so it leads patients to go to a psychiatrist oftentimes to get answers. And a lot of times they unfortunately don't get them there. 
um, because the psychiatrists don't understand this. Some do, some don't. But this particular one who wrote in my book does. So I've gotten a lot of um, kudos from from really high-powered professionals. Um, and I just, you know, I just became an expert in one area. And I think that's an important thing to impart, you know, to, to, to viewers um, and to children. You know, I always say to my daughter, you don't have to know everything. Just know a lot about one thing. And then people will seek you out. And then they, you'll have something that they want. And she's so like true. an expert colorist and an expert makeup artist. And so people who need that will come to her. And and so whatever area that you enjoy, just become really, really well-versed. And that's what I think. Well, that, that is so, that, that's really important. And, you know, that's one reason why I decided to do these radio shows. Because I felt like there were so many people like yourself that needed to get the word out there and needed to be able to get their their message out there. Like tomorrow is really important because I don't know if a lot of people know this, but tomorrow is Global Love Day, and um, it's 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 Global Love Day everywhere every day. But um, the first is always Global Love Day, and I'm a love ambassador, and so we use these shows are really great platforms to get the message out there for people like you that have written amazing books that are out there. Um, there's resources available to people that may be experiencing situations with a child um, that they don't understand. And um, this is a really great way to um, get some information. No, you're not crazy. It's really happening. Yes, um, it's not just going to go away. A lot of people, when something happens, I've noticed, when something happens to somebody in their family and something happens with their child, and if it's something that they don't really want to confront and take the time to really understand, they kind of put it off. Um, don't put it off, you know, right. because it's just going to get worse. And if it's not going to get worse, it's going to start making um, affecting other people. And I'm always one for saying that if something affects me in my life, a way that it doesn't feel good, then then you know there's something you need to do about it, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, that's very wanna, true. Oh, totally. And I want to thank you for writing this book and also letting um, people know this is really happening. Again, um, Karen Haynes, Silently Seizing. And you can get the book um, pretty much, oh gosh, you go on the Internet, it's pretty much everywhere. I know AAPC Publishing um, has it out, and you can also get it on the site, Silent Seizing. And um, what would you recommend um, for somebody to participate in um, Global Seizure Awareness Month? What would you uh, tell somebody that they could do? I think the best way to participate is to become well-versed in what partial epilepsy is. And then not only can you help your own family, but if you have an extended family or friends, you can alert them that these are the signs and symptoms and that something can be done about it because it's, it's, it's very common if you read about it. I mean, there's like a million people in the United States who have it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them don't know it. <laughs> so yeah, it's really not scary. To, you know, Yes, that's, it is. That's really scary. That's really scary. What about the people that are driving that they don't know they I have know. it? And then that's that's the thing if that you, scares me. It is very <laughs> scary, Holly. And, and on my website, on Amazon, actually, some woman wrote that um, on a, she gave me a review, and she said, yeah. I've gone misdiagnosed for years. 
I finally know what's wrong with me and why wow. I've been this way and that way. Yes. So it's just so important that we understand uh, what this is. And, and most of us just know of seizures when somebody falls to the ground. This mm-hmm. is a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different thing, yeah. Different. It's like that blank stare. Um, it's the silent rage. It's the it's the um, passive-aggressive behavior of people sometimes. That all ties in with that. Um, I've, I've, it does. I've seen you know, it. And the brain is such a miraculous organ, and once you apply mm-hmm. the correct intervention, it will find new neural pathways to get to to write itself. I mean, that's how extraordinary our brains are. Yeah. So that's you know, the it's most never important. too late. Even no, it is never too late, and that's the thing that people don't understand. Yeah. There's a little feedback. I don't know what's going on. But I want to tell you that um, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for writing this book because there are not very many people that would be able to write a book and from and also being able to let people really know what's going on. I think it's really I think that's the important thing. I think it's really important that we let people know the truth. Yes. And also the, the questions to ask a doctor when you do go to a doctor and also the questions to be able to know that there are other other alternatives out there to situations that you might be um experiencing. So if you when in doubt, always kind of do a little bit of digging and research, um, like you did, you know. Um, I think that's the important part here. And I wanna thank you so much for being here today. Um is welcome. there anything that you would like to um, you know, share with our listeners before we end our show? And oh, why did you um choose the song Don't Stop Believing? We cho- opened with that song. I wanna to talk to you about that. Okay, well, the reason I chose it is because um, I think that often parents feel they're in a hopeless situation, and I want mm-hmm. them to realize that it's not hopeless at all, and just don't stop believing that they're that they can find answers because they're out there. The answers are out there, and I will help them. That's great. You're you're such a beautiful person to be able to help someone, and and there aren't very many people out there that would really openly say, "I'm here to help you." I know I'm I'm always helping people like I said. And um it seems like we're always we're always there. I think we have a calling on this earth for certain things and I think that we all fulfill those things and when we feel that calling has come to us we act upon it accordingly. And you were meant to write this book. This book is an, a beautiful piece of work. I will be sure to um uh give you a review on Amazon because I think it's a it's a beautifully written book and there's a lot of really good information in it. And um I think that uh a lot of people should read this if you are in any question any doubt. And also again, this is Seizure Awareness Month and make sure to go check out Silent Seizing the website and if you want to speak and get in touch with Karen. And you're also on Facebook, aren't you Karen? I am. Yes, I'm yeah. on Facebook. If you want to reach her, she's on Facebook as well. So with that, we're going to end our show today, and I wanted to make sure everybody tunes in on Friday as we have a surprise guest on another really amazing book, but this is really something different. It's fiction, but it's based on, um, uh, let's just say, Jurassic Park, um, 
um, unknown <laughs> kind of fun stuff, you know. This has been a very serious but very enlightening um, show, and I really want to thank you again for being here. And we have some really amazing shows coming up in the next um, couple weeks. So make sure you tune in every Wednesday and Friday. And again, if you missed the show from the beginning, you can catch it on iTunes and also on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio afterwards. And again, Karen, thank you so much for being here. And um, I want to tell you that um, anytime you need anything, and we should have you back, I would love to have you back. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I forgot to ask you, what are you currently working on? Do you have another book following up on this? No, because I think this is so important, and it just came out last uh, fall, but I, I still mm-hmm. really need to go and talk about it. And right okay. now, actually, my co-presenter is is in New York at the conference presenting tomorrow morning. Um, you know, on Saturday evening. So, if anybody, oh, wants it's to a, go. it's at the it's the YAI conference in New York. Okay. And. Um, yeah, it's a very important conference about autism and, and about what's new in autism. And this is what's new, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that seizures are underlie many cases and, and, and are treatable and can change the face of what's going on with your child. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm cha- I'm really going to spend my time doing that. To, to run to another book would do this a disservice because it's so important to share, and it will be for a very long time to come. Oh, Yeah. Now, are you doing any other speaking engagements yourself personally coming up that we can, um, or will that be on your website as you announce them? Yeah, we, we post them as as we do them. So, yes, and we, we want to do workshops where we can interact with, you know, parents. And so that'll so that's be... that's so important. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So we'll be letting you know about all that on the website. So thank you for, for mentioning it. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, I would like to have you back again, definitely, and um, as things progress, and I hope that you have a beautiful day, what's left of it, and for everyone out there again. Yeah, no, this has been really great, because I really was very, very intrigued with this book. This book is really something that, you know, if you're not educated about it, and it's really funny when you're reading it, you will probably find that you've been dealing with somebody that may be having some of these symptoms. So there yeah. you go. It's kind of like an awakening. It's it's a catalyst, kind of to say, right? I so, think so, and I and I'm I'm grateful to be able to do it. So thanks for yeah, having no. me, and we'll be in touch. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Bye bye. You've been listening to Red Velvet Media with Holly Steffi. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time. Just a minute.